Hello, everyone. Welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision with Dr. Bill. I am his trusty sidekick, Jesse Walensky. And we are so excited for you all to join us for tonight's show. We have a wonderful guest tonight, Mr. Dan Sippel, who is quite impressive, I must say. Dan Sippel, he is the president of RSVA, which is Randolph Shepard Vendors of America. He currently has held positions in several blindness advocacy and other organizations, including chair of committee of blind vendors. He sits on the board of directors and was the past treasurer for the Wisconsin Council of the Blind and Visually Impaired. He holds a governor appointed seat on the Rehabilitation Council, as well as being the president of the EAU Clare Area Art League and being the president of the Kiwanis Club. He has also served as the customer fraud specialist and investigator for the state of Wisconsin, as well as served as the automotive service manager for the U.S. oil company. While he was in high school and college, he also worked as a truck and automotive mechanic, and he has lifelong hobbies of woodworking and arts, crafts, and cabinetry, and overall is an incredibly impressive human being. Dan, I am so excited for you to be with us here tonight. Thank you so much. How are you doing, Dan? Real good. Thank you, Jesse. It's uh, a little humbling, but uh, just, um, it, it, I think, uh, you know, I have retinitis pigmentosa, which, you know, most of you may know is a degenerative disease. And, um, you know, as a child, like, I could never see at night. And that was the only thing that I was aware of that I just couldn't see at night. I never knew what the stars or stuff like that uh, looked like. And, and, um, and I was able to drive a car for a number of years. And until uh, my retinitis pigmentosa degenerated to the point where I could no longer read. And then I had to retire from my um, fraud investigation for the state of Wisconsin because it just didn't look good. You get up on a witness stand and uh, trying to, uh, when you're trying to prosecute the CEO of General Motors or Firestone and you can't read the documents in front of you without a magnifier. And back then, all they available was handheld magnifiers. And uh, juries just aren't impressed with that. Society is not very understanding of low vision. Um, and I give up driving, you know, about 25 years ago. Um, but I uh, like to say I can, I can just drive a car probably better than most sighted people. <laughs> yeah, I just get in and I go until I hear that sickening crunch of metal and I stop. <laughs> sighted people, sighted people just keep on going. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, that's amazing. I know there's unfortunately definitely some weird stigmas still about the visually impaired community, which hopefully we can work hard to break. But I appreciate you being here and sharing us a little bit about yourself and your story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about RSVA? Okay. RSVA, uh, Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, is um, about 70-some years old. It's almost as old as... The Randolph Shepard Act itself. The Randolph Shepard Act is, for those of you that may not be fully aware, is um, a federal law that gives blind and visually impaired people um, priority in all food vending and food service contracts within federal buildings. And uh, most states, and all states, except Wyoming, has adopted what you call Mini Randolph Shepard Act, which gives priority for vending and food service in state-owned buildings. Some states have gone beyond that and uh, expanded their state laws in, into to cover county buildings, in which um, when it was started, you know, um, you know it, 
back, you know, we pretty much just had um, snack stands and uh, you know, snack bars and stuff where you know, blind vision impaired to, would have a, they would cook hamburgers or hot dogs in the, you know, cafeteria types that's setting in state or federal buildings. And as the vending machines entered the market, um, you know, probably 30, 40 years, 45 years ago, it expanded into the vending situation. And you know, it's ever evolving. The newspaper stands are gone and so on and so forth. And the vending took over. Now we're expanding to micromarkets. So RSVA was established back then um, for a lot of reasons uh, as a networking organization for all the blind vendors in the country. Back in 1974, there was 4,600 blind vendors in the country. Now we're down to about 1,600. And the um, pandemic is going to play a toll on us again. But uh, there was a definite need for networking amongst blind vendors because we're the ones with the boots on, on the ground. We're the ones providing customer service. And um, even you know the f- federal law, the Randolph Shepard Act, administered by um, our Rehabilitation Service Administration, housed within the U.S. Department of Education. You know, so I, I like to explain it as, okay, the Randolph Shepard Act program is like a large corporation with 50 different franchises each state being a separate franchise. Most large corporations, when they have franchises, they have very detailed um, platforms which each franchise has to function under. That's probably not the case within the Randolph Shepard Act. And so there, there hence becomes a need for RSVA to try to coordinate things from state to state and try to keep everybody abreast on what the Randolph Shepard Act actually requires of them and requires of the, the state because uh, um, you know to rely upon um, government uh, agencies or officials to take care of each of us individually that that's not realistic. We have to take care of ourselves. Uh, the burden falls on our shoulders to take care. Of, so you know we bring so we you know our my predecessors you know 60 years ago created uh, you know well at the time there was RSVA and then there was Sagebrush. Sagebrush was strictly a training uh, module that was held usually in Nevada. And then he started spreading around the country. And uh, it's been in Las Vegas for a number of years. And RSVA was in just a, a, a civic organization that provided networking opportunities and got together once or twice a year as a whole body. And uh, about 10 years or 12 years ago, um, RSVA took Sagebrush under its umbrella. So it's all one one and the same, though. And we have our trade show, and we bring speakers in to uh, keep uh, the blind vendors abreast of um, the current trends in, in the vending and food service industry, convenience or the now it's known as the convenience service industry. And so we try to keep tabs on that, as well as um, uh, uh, an advocacy within uh, um, the Congress, and sometimes we'll, we'll enter into a state uh, legislative issue uh, where there, someone's not maybe fully complying with the uh, Randolph Shepard Act like we like, like they should be, and we'll uh, have input and um, you know try to give uh, some counsel and how to uh, best approach the situation and resolve the issues so that um, you know Randolph Shepard priority stays in place and. Um, so, so basically, RSV, we're you know we're primarily an advocacy um, 
civic organization, kind of like Kiwanis or Lions Club or anything else. We got our, our mission, and our mission is to uh, promote the advancement of uh, blind vendors. And you have to remember the, the Randolph Shepard Act is, is probably the most unique program in the entire world. Uh, it, it's only for blind and visually impaired people. No other disabilities, no other uh, group um, that are, you know, are you know, strictly a program for blind. You know, it was passed in 1934 by Senator Randolph and Senator Shepard. They had the foresight and the wisdom and uh, to see that uh, there's uh, a better form of um, employment and entrepreneurship for blind vision impaired rather than standing on a street corner rattling a pencil and a tin cup. And uh, so we hold our annual training, we hold our annual meeting, and we're affiliated with the American Council of Blind, ACB, uh, which is a strong advocate uh, partner with us. And so I could go on and on and on, but I bet I'll cut it off there. Okay. Hey, Dan, I, I have a question. The statistic that you stated, it, it's very surprising to me that at one time there were 4,600 vendors and now there's 1,600? Yes. Why the drop in the number of vendors? Um, I, I hate pointing fingers, Dr. Bill, but uh, uh, it's, that's one thing that we as RSVA are trying to work um, in it. And I think, um, it, without pointing fingers, but it's, you know, RSA, Rehabilitation Service Administration, Department of Education, used to have, uh, what, seven or ten regional offices around the country. And I think uh, in the early turn of the century, they started, they closed all the regional offices. There used to be one in St. Louis and uh, scattered all over, the, you know, in mm. regions. And the, everything's housed in Washington D.C. now, and it, the staff the staff is down to was down to one for a number of years. And uh, just the last couple of years, they hired two, two, three more people. So there's a very minimal staff. So and. And what, what, when the economy, it, it's been diminishing ever since because um, there's no direct um, line item in the, any budget bill for the Randolph Shepard program. We're strictly funded all of the Title One B funds, uh, Title One Ten, Title One Ten and One B funds, and uh, so it, yeah, through the Department of Education. And so sometimes um, we tend to be forgotten about. Uh, our staffing in various states, and uh, they they don't do a very good job of recruiting in my in my mind uh, because there's no uh, central guidance uh, directive coming from the Department of Education on recruitment of younger members. Um, you, if you probably took the average age of our vendors right now, you'd probably come up with uh, beyond retirement age, the normal retirement age. Yeah, they just have not recruited younger generation, and younger generation may have different performance levels they'd like to achieve in their life or whatever. And technology has opened the doors for other people, but I think there's a general unawareness of the Randolph Shepherd program and its um, potential. Um, I have three daughters, and you know, but I say when I retired from the state, I did uh, built a shop, woodworking shop, and built did woodwork, arts and craft cabinetry. And then uh, they come to the, the, the rehab council. Rehab uh, people come to back to me and they says, "Okay, 
you know, the Randolph Shepherd program is still open for you, and I was aware when when I got out of high school, they offered to me. I said, no, I, I got usable vision. I want to do other things. When I got out of college, they said, well, okay, it's available. No, I want to do other. So, I, you know, then I went uh, to the state and stuff. And when I my vision declined enough, and I and for the third time, you know, I said, well, three strikes and you're out. You better take it. And it's actually the best thing I've done of all the different things I've done in my life. It, uh, you know, that changed careers, you know, uh, because of a degenerative eye condition. But um, well, when I was working on trucks, to a truck tire fell on my back and crushed my back, so I had back surgery. You know, that, you know, that took me out of the truck market, put me in the car market. Yeah, Bill. Yeah. Are we actually in a situation now that the 1,600 current vendors really have a monopoly on it? So let's say that if new people wanted to come in, uh, they really wouldn't be able to get some of these contracts because all the other contracts are taken up by the 1,600 that are out there. Is, um, it, is it a monopoly that way, or would the government free something up for some of the new people who are interested? Yeah, um, a lot of states have openings some because of the lack of recruitment. So what they've been doing is they, as um, as a matter and I guess I like to say, once you're a blind vendor, I've been to a lot of retirement parties for blind vendors. And it's usually a rather solemn event with a large of a lot of people gather on a large wooden box. Once you're in the program, you're in it for life. And because uh, it's just that good. But uh, so consequently, but as people retired in the lack of recruitment um, by the state agencies in, for the younger generation, when somebody, they took that location and combined it, added on to another existing vendor, and uh, it's a, the existing vendor has just got bigger and then, uh, bigger than and then many times, uh, if it was in a moral, more of a rural area, they you know, because of their lack of recruitment efforts, um, they they let it go back to the private sector, let the canteen services or whatever do the vending or food service, and they just uh, forego the priority. Which is wrong, rather than oh, putting a blind person really? to work. So, but there, no, there are openings around the country. Some states um, they do have a, they do a good job of recruiting, but for uh, most states do have openings um, uh, that are available. You know, because uh, a lot of times when when somebody retires, you know, passes away, and they add that location onto another vendor, that's usually what we call on an interim basis which means if they do find somebody else, you know, you have to give that up and uh, create an opening. Yeah, but yeah, it's compounded then, too, and in in when the economy crashed in 2008, um, uh, there's a lot of budget restraints put upon state agencies. And so they weren't, but through it, they, they solved, resolved their budget issues through attrition. They just didn't re- uh, somebody retired or left uh, a, a state agency. They didn't fill the position. And, it was, and um, rehab counties were not getting pay raises, and they, you know because the, the tax revenue weren't there. So the rehab and so and I heard this from several uh, rehab counties over the years that well wait a minute you know we used to have t- ten staff and now we're down to six staff. Why do I want to train a new person and create extra work for me? I'm not getting any extra money. They hadn't gotten the pay raise. Um, so there's a, there's a whole myriad of um, 
I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call it reason. I'm going to call them excuses for not recruiting. <laughs> yeah. But, well, but there are, are possibilities out there. Um, you, but you, and, there, and uh, as the other, what's another compound factor is that um, as the, the older rehab council retired because of the economy crash or whatever, they were able to retire. They hired a young, new rehab counselors, or some, if the ones they did hire, and they were not made aware of the Randolph Shepherd program. So you, the counselors, not all of them are, are up to speed on that even available. Wow. And a lot of states have gone to a combined vocational rehabilitation, combined agency rehabilitation services, rather than uh, specialized services where they have commissions for the blind. So it, you, it's up. The burden falls on us blind, visually impaired people defend for ourselves in some respects and, and educating the rehab counselors that uh, yes, you know, I can understand what our rights that. are. That, that, well, I think Dan, that's always been there. Dan, I, got, I have a few questions here, if I may. Uh, yeah. um, are there any types of requirements for a person to be able to apply for this? In other words, do you have to be legally blind, or can you be classified as being partially sighted? Um, legally blind. Yep. And legally. are you then prohibited from being a vendor if you are currently like Jesse? She's a student in college, but if she has the time, could she actually take on a position? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and what if it's a, a person who is already working, has another type of job? Could they take on the, the position with the vendors as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, what legally blind is the only requirement. What, is, uh, what would be the first step? Say like uh, my friend Tom in Wyoming or Jesse and I. What if we wanted to investigate to see if we could obtain a vendorship? What's the first step? What do we do? Who do we call? Um, you start out with your voc rehab counselor, if you're working with one. If you don't have one, call your your VR agency and have one assigned to you. They have, you know, yeah, they have to assign, you know, provide a counselor to you. And you may have to educate them on the availability of the program too, but in the, you know, but then they will hook you up. Uh, the business enterprise, they call it the business enterprise program within the VR system, uh, BEP. And uh, you know, once you get a, uh, an individual counselor, then they can uh, advise you and then they can uh, provide the financial assistance and the training to uh, get you into the BEP program. And sometimes some are, um, most, most generally they're run separate from the other VR sections. They have separate staff, uh, but uh, but you usually have to go through your individual counselor um, in more in okay. just about all the states. You reach out to your counselor and uh, and just tell them you you heard about the Randolph Shepherd program and BP or RBP. You know, either term will get and they'll hook you up with uh, appropriate. Uh, hmm. That's good staff. to know. <laughs> I know, huh, um, Jesse? <laughs> is this, um, I kind of have a di different question, but, like, is there a difference that you've noticed between, like, doing it on your own versus having some sort of affiliate involved? Which one do you think is better? Um, it, 
Yeah, affiliate can can help um, counsel you or give you technical assistance, uh, but you have to approach your counselor on your own. Gotcha. Uh, okay. But the, your, your affiliate um, definitely is a good networking opportunity. You can gather information from people that are aware of the program because because you you may very well run into a, a rehab counselor that's not up to speed or not not at all aware of. Randolph Shepherd program. Right. Okay, that's a good point. Hey, what Danielle. about you guys' funding? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dr. Bill. <laughs> yeah. um, the fund, as I said, uh, as I mentioned earlier, and when I was rambling here, but uh, um, they passed a federal law in 1934, and then it was revived in 1974 by a good friend of mine, Bob Humphreys, authored the revision in 1974. And, but there is no line item uh, on budget in the federal or state level. And so what uh, comes under the 110 funds or the 1B funds uh, from the U.S. Department of Education, which means that if the VR in your state spends um, $100,000 or um, it spends $200,000, $218,000 in a year, they'll get a million dollars back from the U.S. Department of Education. So if they buy you some um, vending machines or whatever else, uh, or set up a snack bar or whatever, a micro market, uh, and they spend uh, $100,000, they'll get um, $500,000 back um, into the program that they can use for other purposes. And the first, so by the way, what you'll find too is some states have what we call a set-aside fund, where, like, um, if you sell $200,000 of the product in a year and you take your operating expense off that and your net profit is 50000 or 40000 they may charge you to have a set-aside of 4 or 5 or 10%, sometimes higher. Or, but then there are some states um, uh, where they don't have any set-aside fee at all. The state legislature gives GPR funds uh, to operate the program, which is fantastic. Is that way... Uh, and, but the state, they may get the GPR funds from the state level to, get to, to draw down the 110 funds, but then they'll may also charge a set-aside, but then the set-aside will go to pay, uh, they can, uh, you can, yeah, the elected committee can have it pay for your health insurance or retirement plan or uh, retire, whatever, various things. Um, and so the, it varies from state to state. There are, you know, every state, uh, you go to, you have, so you have to really work closely, and, and that's where networking with your ACB affiliate in your state, they can give you some guidance um, as to what to expect and how to and how to overcome some of those hurdles that they may try to uh, put up in front of you. Hey Dan, the question that I have is, I was just thinking, God, I could be so lucky if I got this particular type of a, a contract. But my question is, how in the heck am I going to get all of these sodas to all these vending machines and all the snacks? How yeah. do how do I I don't drive? How do yeah. I get it over there? Uh, to me, that's one of the advantages of the program. You hire a driver. You buy a van, hire a driver, and that that takes the burden off of your family, your spouse, or your family, children. Uh, from driving yes. you to get a get a haircut, or to, if you want to 
you know, run down to the store and get a pack of the donuts while well, you have donuts on the inventory. But if you want to stop someplace, you have a driver that can, you know, uh, available to you, and um, and that's part of the legitimate business expense. And uh, so, it, it, to me, that was always an advantage that I had uh, drivers available that could, you know, if my wife or daughters were busy, I could, um, you know, have my driver stop here, stop there, or drop me off at a, you know, like when I was involved with Kiwanis Club and um, Yardley, you know, I'd have them drop me off at the meeting, I'd preside the meeting, and they'd go out and do some vending, and I'd, they'd come back and after the meeting, pick me up, and then we'd go do the rest of the day's vending. Um, Oh, wow. It, yeah. It, okay. uh, yeah. And, and, well, one, here in Wisconsin, Bill, um, you're an optometrist, retired optometrist. Uh, in our program, we had a retired oral surgeon. And uh, he had RP. And as his, uh, when he got to the point where he's operating on someone's jaw, and they got done, and then they uh, would reach, put their hand, extend their hand to shake, shake their hand with, you know, RP, got tunnel vision. He didn't see their hand shake. That's when he decided he better retire from oral mm-hmm. surgery, and he joined our program because he loved being around people. He just loved being. So what what he did is Roy Burley, and he um, he had, so he opened up a basically a little snack and newspaper stand in the front entrance of the post office in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and he got to meet all his old his old uh, you know patients and new people. He just loved people. And he still was involved with people that way. And then he took on a little vending route and hired a driver. And so it kept him in touch, you know, and that was meant so much to him. He did, he did that till he was 90 years old. That's amazing. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, Dan, I, I, I could read Jesse's mind right now. Jesse wants to ask you, can <laughs> she sell alcoholic beverages at her snack shop? <laughs> <laughs> if you were in Japan, you could, but Japan took all their their beer vending machines off the streets just three years ago. So they, but you oh, no. know, uh, but but that is not out of the ordinary because there are some states um, where we opened um, bars, snack bars, and various facilities, and they did get liquor license. Wow, that, that is that is up to. The, yeah, every that's a whole another department. You got your your alcohol, tobacco, firearms people on the federal level. Your state liquor uh, licensed people, tax people, and you got your local city or county or township ordinance that affect liquor licenses. So, hey Dan, uh, I have a, a bit of a personal question, so please excuse me for asking this, and you don't have to answer. You don't have to answer this, but could you give us a range of how much could a person earn if they do go into this type of business? Um, th- that fluctuates. The medium income for blind vendors in the country is thirty, what thirty-two thousand. The the medium income is forty-six thousand, and that's those numbers are skewed because we have military dining contracts, which people earn millions of dollars per year. Um, but uh, yeah, the so, but you, you go by the medium, you, uh, 30, 30, $32,000 is the medium, and the medium is uh, $46,000. So and, and are you referring to 32 to $46 per hour? No, $1,000 per year. Oh, $1,000 per year. Yeah. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. God. That's your net profit. That's your net profit. You know, you know, like when I I retired from my vending route, um, uh, well, it'd be a year and a half ago. And when I had 101 vending machines, I called them my 101 Dalmatians because they all needed TLC. <laughs> and um, but I was my gross sales were five hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow. And uh, I had enough income that I have three daughters, and I put all three of them through college, and wow. they graduated with their, one of them. My oldest one graduated master's degree, summa cum laude. Oh my goodness! But they helped out on the vending route too. That was the rather, you know, they did a other part-time job, but the their primary, because then I, you know, had could have vehicles for them and stuff when they're in high school and college and stuff. And uh, it's just, uh, there's so many benefits to it. And one thing I, I want to point out before we get is, too, that a lot of people maybe aren't, uh, are, are leery of getting into the program because they feel that they may lose their SSDI or their Medicare. Hmm. That is that is not the case. Okay. It, it, it can happen if you get a military dining contract where you're earning a million or two million a year, then you're definitely going to lose it. But um, a lot of people uh, only earn fifteen or twenty, thirty thousand dollars know, a year. They they augment their SSDI. So because as you know, when you're blind or vision impaired, sometimes in some states or some insurance companies, they consider you un, uninsurable. And uh, so you get, uh, you know, but you maintain your Medicare because there's a provision in the IRS code called unincurred business expense, which means if you get something because of your disability, you can declare the full value to lower your income because, you know, as you're aware, you can earn as a blind vision or disabled person, blind or no, if you're a blind vision impaired person, we got a special provision in the IRS code for blind vision impaired. You can earn a little over twenty thousand dollars a year without affecting your uh, SSDI or Medicare, uh, but the, you can do a lot more than that under the unincurred business expense provision. God, this is great, Jesse. Do you have any other questions for Dan, or shall we open it to the audience? Um, yeah, well, I just had a quick question. I'm sure this is probably um, an audience question as well, but I was just curious if you had like a website or a way that maybe people could reach out to you if they have any more questions about this. Oh, yeah, we have a website. Um, you can get at it uh, through rsva.biz. If you just type in rsva or Randolph Shepard, we pop up first. You do Google it and we'll pop up. And, uh, and our contact information is there. And, um, my my email address is simple at charter.net, S-I-P-P-L at charter.net. By the way, where, where, is your, where is your name from? What's the origin of simple? German. Oh, okay. Yeah, most okay. of them, a lot of them spell it uh, E-L or L-E, but we don't have any. I always like to say no M and no E in my name. Oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, I just brought up the website, so thank you for that. I'm having fun looking around. It's a very handsome picture of you <laughs> up here. It's very nice. We have a call-in user. Go ahead. Hi, it's, it's Bernice Kandarian. Hey, um, Bernice. Hey, hi. how are you? I, I, okay, I have so many things I'd like to say to you, and I'll try to say them as quickly as possible. I want you to know that Derwin McDaniel, who was the um, 
uh, national representative and one of the first 39 people that started the American Council of the Blind was very involved in legislation to support vendors and, and what uh, Dan was talking about, that, that, that there's a, a, a separate a situation dealing with vendors over other people that receive benefits. Yeah. Um, Dor they, Dorwood is actually one of the founding fathers of RSVA. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 one of the other things is Durward McDaniel in nineteen eighty we were at a conference in Washington DC, the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities and there was like five thousand people in the room and at the break Durward asked me to walk over and say hello to him. And there was a man and Durward was six foot two and this man was taller than Durward. And Durward is introducing me. He said, Bernice, I want you to meet U.S. Senator Jennings Randolph. That was really um, amazing for me to yeah, be able to that, meet that, that man. That, yeah. <laughs> he was born in 1902, and he died in 1998, by the mm -hmm. way. And, uh, yeah, our stage, uh, our stage training, we, on two separate occasions, probably eight or ten years apart, we had... Um, Jennings Randolph Jr. as our uh -huh. presenter, our keynote speaker. Uh -huh. Jay Randolph, he's, he was a sportscaster uh, uh -huh. for the St. Louis Cardinals all his life. Oh, really? And he also comes working in Social Security in Washington, D.C., a lot of vendors came in to make sure that the FICA that was covered for them covered the max because those vendors were making buku bucks. They did yeah. very well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Bernice. Um, anyone else? I don't have any hands up. Oh, I'm certain Linda has some questions or comments, don't you, Linda? Sorry, I was still muted. Um, no. Yeah, Dan, one thing, um, if you wouldn't mind expanding on a little bit the process we go through, uh, I generically, I mean, because each state varies a little bit, uh, to get our vending license. I mean, it's not like we're just handed a facility and say, here you go. Um, oh, yeah. Um, it, 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 like Linda, it varies from state to state. Every There is no national training standard or anything else. But um, some states, you know, they want to, they got a six-month training program. Some states um, just, re, they have a uh, two-week training, uh, in-house training, then maybe uh, a four-week OJT on-the-job training to send you out with another blind vendor to show you what it's about and, and how to handle the paper. The, the, usually the two-week, you know, because you got you, know, you got to file. That's, blind vendors are small business people. You, you own your own business, technically, so you got to file the same amount of paperwork with the IRS and, and with your state tax department and your uh, Department of Labor, whatever licensing agencies are involved, as a, as a large corporation. So you got to be fully aware of um, uh, the paperwork involved in running a business, and the SLAs will train you on that. Uh, and so it varies anywhere from, say, a month to six months, and some may even do a little more. And that, that just kind of always, I always like one add, add on to that is that, in, in the vending business, you know, say I'd put it off, you know, two different times, and I finally decided better doing this best thing I ever did in my life. You know, I did it for 20 years, and I never worked a day in those 20 years. 
is when you enjoy what you're doing is no longer work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see. but yeah. the thing is, it, all you really need is that fire in your belly to own a business. And when I was out of high school and I went to college, I wanted uh, being I was, I was born and raised in a farm implement dealership and stuff, and I was an auto, you know, and worked on trucks in high school and stuff. And I, I knew my vision was wasn't going to be forever. So I, my goal was I wanted to own an auto parts store. Well, Volk Rehab, they're not about buying businesses or setting up businesses. And that's why they kept recommending the Randolph Shepard program because there's no initial investment upon the part. And I, I you know, but at that time, you know, the, you know, 40 years, 45 years ago, it, it was primarily food stands. And I, I didn't want to, want to be cooking food or frying hamburgers. It'll basically give me a charcoal grill. And, um, so I, I passed it up, but when vending became the the mode of uh, uh, operandi, then I said, okay, let's do it. And, you know, I was able, being my mechanical background, I was able to repair my own machines and whatever else, keep them running. But uh, all you need is a fire in your belly to, to own and operate a business and um, earn a little extra money, augment your SSDI, or, or maybe if you have a, a high expectations, you can exceed the limitations and be fully uh, supported. And we have uh, quite a number of vendors around the country that have, um, for lack of a better term, graduated out of the program. They've um, expanded into their own military dining contract, opened up their own chain of restaurants, a variety of uh, people like that. They, they basically got the experience and uh, got a good handle on how, how to treat customer service, and they developed a good personal reputation in their community. And they had uh, opened some fine dining restaurants, or you know, one one gentleman's got a, a chain, a big chain of Mexican restaurants. Uh, just a variety of issues out there that gives you. In uh, that's the nice thing about the Randolph Shepard program is there's no out-of-pocket expenses. You know. I have uh, I have Tom Lelos with the question in. Am I unmuted? Robert? Yes, sir. Yes. Hey, Tom. And, <laughs> and uh, Bill, Dr. Bill asked one of my questions earlier, but I, I guess, uh, so whatever state you live in, does that state have to kind of uh, sanction your participation in this program? And then once they approve you, I'll use that word loosely, then you can go about developing your business and like that? Um, uh, I'll try to keep this short. That's uh, really a good question, and I don't want to shortchange it. But um, you, you go through the training usually in your capital city, the particular state you live in, and then that's where the bulk of the vending locations are in, in federal or state buildings. And oftentimes federal state buildings are scattered around various states. And they'll open up these locations, you know, uh, if there's an opening, then you can apply for that to say, I'd, I'd like to have the, um, the IRS building here in town or whatever, or the post office, the postal mm-hmm. processing facility here, and there's a lot of those around the country. And, or highway rest area, you live maybe near highway rest area or something. And you apply for the, you know, but you're not in that. Um, and, what, and some people, when they get to go through training and they'll go through the OJT, they, they are willing to move. Uh, to another city within their state and so um, in uh, you know, take a location um, but um, majority of our vendors including myself um, 
it, it, it's like any small business, like like Wisconsin's a dairy state. And so I grew up in that atmosphere that, you know, mm-hmm. they're small business, but they're family businesses. You don't, yeah. you know, the family it has to buy into it and uh, support you on it. It's like any, not just because you're blind or vision impaired, but because you're a small business person. You know, yeah. it's good to have your family support. So that's why a lot of people are reluctant to move to another city because their family, their brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, cousins, whatever, are within a certain uh, radius of their hometown. But uh, it's open. Uh, you, you, it's difficult. It's more difficult to go from state to state. There you have to because you got each state's got their own training standards, right. and some states require. You can be a, a fully functional and excellent VIN manager in Wisconsin. But that doesn't mean that you go to Illinois and get a location because they might have a totally different uh, training yeah. set. In, in, a, in a lot of states, unfortunately, require you to go through their entire training program. Okay. You know, well, we live in I Wyoming now, and I kind of was thinking when I learned about this RSVA program years ago, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if I wonder if anyone has Yellowstone Park as their, you know, stomping grounds. You know. Yeah. Um, the. You know, Wyoming had. I'm. I, last I heard, they dropped their program. Oh. The only the only state that doesn't have one. Why is but you it? may want may want to follow up on that. Okay. Uh, because the VR is still there. It's maybe just due to lack of interest. You know, and uh, maybe they they may still have some staff there, but um, yeah, Yellowstone Park. You know the. You know, that would be fantastic, you know, put yeah, a food that stand be. or a snack bar or, or vent, vending yeah. machines around the park. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, okay. Okay. That would All be right. great. That, that, that's yeah. like, a, years ago I met one of the a vendor from um, South Dakota at, okay. uh, at our sagebrush, and he later uh, took a job with the state as a, as a state SLA rep. But his mission always was to have a stand at Mount Rushmore. Yeah. <laughs> they got a big big yeah. operation at Mount Rushmore, and that was his goal. And, uh, and he never really succeeded on that, to my knowledge at this point. But the, there's no reason why uh, you, you can't push, in, but you may have to push hard to get to something going like that. Yep. yep. And my last question is, say, okay, so your state, has to kind of work with you to help you get started and train you in this and that. Does the state have to finance all that training to help you get going? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh. That's part of the. That's in the law. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's no different than if they um, send you to college or to vocational school. It's all, right. all part of the training, and the, even the, the, the machines. They had buy the machines, and um, and that's. Uh, they own the content. You just you just manage them and take the income from them. Yeah. And if they they need repair or replacement, that's the state's responsibility because they own the machines. I understand. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, Tom. Yep. No, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Good questions. Jim Urek. Yeah. One of the things, Dan, I want to mention is Jim Urek, ACB in Alaska. One of the things I want to mention, if you're making. $500,000 a year, I'm going to have to raise the price on my Snickers bars, let me tell you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I want to, Tom asked a question, I think that, or somebody asked a question about how do you get started in the vending program? And while you're right, each state is different. 
give me uh, indulge me folks give me about three or four minutes to because i came into the vending program in 2017 after being in corporate america for 24 years and and getting fired from my job and then taking a job with a cable company doing tech support and i realized if i don't enjoy doing my own tech support i don't feel comfortable doing it why am i doing other folks helping them out with it so the director at the time here in Nebraska had said, Jimmy, said, you ought to consider vending this. Well, I'll think about it. And I thought about it. And, of course, it, I was interviewed by the executive or by the now executive director for the program. And, guys, that interview was the most lax interview I ever been through. <laughs> there were five <laughs> questions. Why do you want to be a vendor? What customer service skills do you have? Do you have a desire to work? And I forget what the other two questions were. And boom, I was I was hired on the spot, which tells you it was a last interview if they hired me on the spot. But but having said that, one of the things that I was required to do uh, was take – Danny, are you familiar with the uh, Hadley course that's being offered to blind yep. merchants? That was a requirement in the state of Nebraska. We had to take the, the – uh, <laughs> excuse me, the uh, – the course. It's a 10 part course. It's on audio uh, format, or else you could, you know, read the text on the website and all that. Of course, answer the questions, take the test, and all that. And, folks, that cost the state of Nebraska $1 shy of $4,000, which, you know, don't get me wrong, it was, it was well intended, but a lot of that stuff I already knew. The second thing I had to do was set up either an LLC, sole proprietorship, or a corporation to protect myself from liability if somebody decided to choke on a, uh, on a uh, Hershey bar. So I, I had to set up, so I set up myself an LLC because that's easier to dissolve than the other two or three. The third thing that happened, at least here in the state of Nebraska with me, was that... Um, the state of Nebraska purchased a one-year membership to Sam's Club. And, Dan, that's one of the things you didn't talk about. Where does the product come from that you put oh, in yeah. the machine? And, folks, you, look, you just cannot go into your local, you know, grocery store down the street and buy something and stick it in the machine. You know, maybe with the exception of, you know, canned pop or something along those lines. But if you're selling candy bars, if you're selling chips, if you're selling sandwiches, whatever it is, it has to be marked for resale. Any item that is not marked for resale, sandwich, whatever it is, you cannot put in the machine. And because of the Affordable Care Act now that was passed in 2011 or 12, whatever year that was, or 2009, the calorie count also has to be on that particular product. Uh, the other thing that to get to get started was. You obviously had to throw in, at least I did, had to throw in some of my own money to get the business up and running. Of course, once I got that up and running, established checking account and all that, I reimbursed myself. But I would encourage anyone that is interested in the Venny program to get into it, look at it. Um, job shadow. That's one of the that's one of the training mechanisms that I did. I job shadowed with an individual that is now no longer in the program and of course Dan you know her too I job shadowed with Sandy and so you know that's basically how I got started in Nebraska with that and I've been doing it since 2017 
I took last month off, unfortunately, because I was in the hospital with some uh, illness and all that. But, you know, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. You work when you want. At least I do. I have 11 machines in a micro market. I work two days a week. I don't make $50,000 because I got to raise the price of my, you know, gum. Other than that, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth doing, guys. That's all yeah. I got. And, yeah, uh, just yeah, as Jim uh, mentioned, uh, product availability, you, you basically, you know, you establish your business uh, name, whether you do a sole proprietorship, LLC, or C Corp, or S Corp, that, that's all up to you. But then, as far as uh, procuring product, you, generally, you um, you purchase your soda through either Pepsi, Coke, or American Bottling, and they will deliver it. And that's when, like, what I my business, I run it, you know, I owned a home, and so I just converted my garage to my warehouse. Oh, you know, you and parked the cars outside, and the, so Pepsi and Coke would d- deliver, you know, once a week or once every other week, whatever you needed, depending on how much you ordered. Uh, but the, and the other is, is Sam's Club, is um, Costco. You can buy there. But there, you, as you mentioned, you have to be careful with Costco and Sam's Club because some of that stuff is not for resale. Because um, it used to be all oh, it had to have a net weight on it, and that was the only requirement. And then when they passed the Nutrition Labeling Act, and they, now it's got to have the Nutrition Labeling on it, you know, for uh, for, the, for resale. So you have to be careful. But there's a, a variety of vending. Uh, suppliers out there. There's not as many as there was 20 years ago. Vistar Corporate, P, uh, PPG, PFG, Performance Food Groups, bought up a lot of the regional vending suppliers. Um, but there's still a, a lot of them available around the country. And you you order a case of chips, you order a case of or a box of candy, Snickers candy bars, or a um, case of uh, frozen sandwiches, uh, whatever. You buy all your vending supplies you know, through uh, Vistar or one of your regional um, vending suppliers, and and you they basically get you tax exempt number if you have a sales tax in your state, so on and so forth like that, and they set up an account with them. And that you go through, uh, you know, Jim mentioned you had to go through his um, job shadow, which you know we refer to the OJT on the job training. You just follow another vendor around, and they and through your initial orientation with the program. They'll show you and, and uh, introduce you to the various suppliers: the Pepsi distributor, the Coke distributor, the American Bottling distributor, the Vistar, or whatever regional vending supplier you have, um, in uh, Sam's Club or Costco or whatever. Uh, and yeah, that's that are all decisions you make on your own as to what product you want to sell. And I shouldn't say you don't make it on your own. Your customers tell you what they want, and, uh, and you just give them what they want and. You, you find a, the best source for it and the best price. Uh, One of the things I do, Dan, is I buy a lot of my stuff now on Amazon. Oh, you yeah, know. that's getting to be quite popular, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. Really and i tell you another good place. Um, I was able, I had not been able to find um, Monster Ultraviolet at Sam's. It had been out of stock, out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. I got it off Walmart. Yeah. For the same case price as it is at Sam's. Oh, yeah, that, and that's comparable. Maybe Sam's, you know, Sam's Love is part of Walmart Corporation. Right, and, right. And, but uh, I, I didn't expect them to sell it on the retail price. On the same price, At yeah, the uh, yeah. wholesale yeah. price. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it, it, you know, it, there's just, you, those things you, that I guess that's what's enjoyable about the vending business. 
is you learn it. You know, there isn't a day that goes by where you don't learn something or you get the chance to try something new or you get to meet a new customer. You get to be around people and meet, make many new friends. And, uh, and you learn, the, you learn this from your customers. You know, uh, our goal as blind vision impaired people is to want to be independent. Well, you know, my, I got news for you. No one's independent. No. You know, if you, mm-hmm. you're, everybody depends on somebody. If, if you own your own business, you're dependent upon your customers to buy your product. You're dependent upon your delivery. People deliver your product. Yeah, you, know, you buy it. You know, so, you know, it's a degree of independence you want. And, uh, the independence you gain here is that you get out among society, show them that you're able-bodied, you just happen to be visually impaired. And to show them that um, you are capable of doing things, and you make those decisions and provide the customer service to them, uh, it just uh, opens up a lot of doors for you. It really does. One of the things. Go ahead. I got a question. So you're you have a vending machine business, but you're not doing it through um, this particular act, the Randolph Shepard. Yes, I am. Oh, you are. Yes, I am. Okay. As am I. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and there's nothing to prevent you from taking up private accounts, buying your own machine. In a lot of states, you can go to a private concern, and um, you know, the state will furnish the vending machine for you, and it comes with you, even though it's not a government facility. When I had my vending route, I had 12 sites that were not government-owned. They were private businesses that I put vending machines into. Over the years, I've made friends around the community and stuff, and you you develop a reputation of good service, and people want you to provide service to them. Nebraska recently... I'm sorry, Dan, I didn't mean to interrupt. Nebraska recently just bought new vending machines for some of their vendors last year. Yeah, and you'll you'll see uh, with COVID now, um, there's a a big demand for new vending machines because a lot of the older vending machines are not um, touchless. So nope. a lot of the states are buying new machines because all our new ones are designed to be as touchless as possible. Yeah, That's we, the trend nowadays with COVID. Yeah, we now have credit card readers on all our machines. You can do the Apple Pay, the Visa, MasterCard, the whole bit. The Apple Pay and then the yeah, it, uh, Pay Range and all those others there. Because I, Sandy, I know which had Pay Range on for a number of years when she years ago. She, she and got Nebra- Pay Range shortly after I did. Nebraska doesn't have Pay Range anymore, so. Oh, okay. No, and Sandy's down at the base now, at uh, the Air Force Base, so. Uh, 26 break rooms. Uh, nice. <clears throat> well, let's been... see. We're running close to the end of our time. Does anybody have any questions for Dan or Jim or Linda? Any other questions? I don't see any hands up at all. I can raise okay. my hand again if you want. No, that messes me up. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. And, Dan, one more time, would you please give us the the uh, web address for uh, the Randolph Shepherd Group? Uh, rsva.biz, or you can just type in RSVA, key, Google RSVA, or you can just uh, Google Randolph Shepherd Vendors. It'll pop up. It's the first first one that'll pop up of all the series when you do a Google search. Okay, rsva.biz. Uh, well, Jesse, let me turn it over to you. 
All righty. Well, thank you so much, Dan. We really appreciate you being here and telling us about your story and your experience. And now I am more inspired than ever to go out and start my little small business, I got to say. I got to yeah. figure out how I can do this, get the Jeff Sarita, you know, set up. <laughs> but we just really appreciate you and your time and everyone who's listening in. Thank you guys so, so much. And as always, Dr. Bill, thank you for being the best host. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to let people know about the great opportunity that's available. Great. And we also thank uh, Robert Spangler for recording this. So we will have this up on our website very shortly. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Good night.